Well, I believe it was a radical self-expression. I just called a friend one day and said, let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Hi, I'm Steve Robbins. And I'm Evan Schulman. And this is Burning Man According, According to, us. to Us. That's right, the both of us back at it again on the digital waves. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, uh, I don't even know if they use waves anymore. Now it's all just bits. You just surf the web. You surf the, okay, I guess you can surf the bits. I guess that works. The waves. Exactly. So today we wanted to talk about one of the 10 principles, and this is the principle of immediacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't really know what we're going to talk about, because in the spirit of immediacy, Evan won't tell me. <laughs> yes, yeah, I had uh, a couple things I wanted to try to kind of change up the format just a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's still going to be us talking, um, but I wanted to explore a couple different uh, uh, directions to kind of get at the core of immediacy. I guess I'm going to approach this episode from kind of a philosophical, metaphysical type perspective um, but to kickstart things, uh, Stever, do you want to do you want to read, or do you want me to read uh, the the principle of immediacy here? The principle of immediacy is immediate experience is in many ways the most important touchstone of value in our culture. We seek to overcome barriers that stand between us and the recognition of our inner selves, the reality of those around us, participation in society, and contact with a natural world exceeding human powers. No idea can substitute for this experience. That's so, yeah, that's immediacy. And I think, you know, both of us uh, in kind of taking a first stab at it, and even when I went to do some background research just a little bit on the uh, journal.burningman.org, you know, this is, a, this is a tough one for people to kind of wrap their heads around. Um, some of the other ones we've done seem a little bit more concrete, a little bit more practical, uh, but this one has almost an elusiveness to it. And perhaps that is the essence of immediacy, that is, it is elusive in that an immediate moment is created, and then in that same immediate moment, it is it is left, and another immediate moment has entered our consciousness. So I think it strikes that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, i've I've never I've never been fully comfortable with this principle, mainly because I don't understand it very well. <laughs> the way that I'm coming to understand it, however, uh, there's two things. One is one is um I'll call it put away your goddamn cell phone. Because uh-huh. there is it's a very practical nothing. application. It is. The first time that I went to the burn was before they had cell phones. It was only four years ago, but there were no cell phones my first year. And just in three years, they've been all over the place. And I just, I want to scream. Mm. I want to be like, put your cell phone away. You're in the most amazing place on the planet. No one matters more than you being here now in the middle of what you're doing. So that's one thing what is it about let's explore that what is it about the cell phone because maybe it's other things but for sure the cell phone or the smartphone is kind of the the you know most obvious technological tool here but what is it about that 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 you feel and i'm sure i agree with um takes people away from being here wherever that might be especially if we're talking about burning man in black rock city you know i've wrestled with that a lot because if somebody were sitting around reading a book, I would not have the same reaction. There is something fundamentally different about a book 
in terms of immediacy and to cell phone in terms of immediacy. And mm. it's hard to put your finger on. I would say that it is the interactivity of it that when you are reading a book, you're not interacting with the book. You are taking the book in and then making your own experience in the moment with it. So if there's another person nearby and you're reading a book and they're reading a book, you might still both shift in your seat unconsciously towards each other. You might read a book and laugh and then reach up and say, oh, I just read this funny thing. Would you like to read it? And they'll say, be quiet. I'm trying to read my book. Uh, so <laughs> it's not necessarily, but it's not, that's kind of important. It's not necessarily about engagement. However, when you're on a cell phone, enough of your brain is occupied just with the phone because the phone itself is interactive. So it's not that you're taking the phone experience and bringing it into your present place and somehow integrating it into your brain in the current context. With a phone, because it is what it's saying next depends on what you do, you're always, in some sense, thinking about what am I going to do? How am I going to engage with this phone so it gives me something good in a few minutes? And you don't have that same kind of engagement with a book or with anything else, with, with the purely consumptive media like a book or something that isn't, doesn't have that interactive quality. You are present perceiving the book. With a phone, you're not present because you are adjusting your behavior not on what's there with you, not on the people that are with you, not on the environment that's with you. Instead, you're adjusting your behavior based upon what you think you're going to get out of the device. And again, I haven't thought, I, I, this is my first attempt to articulate this. Yeah, no, it's great. That's um, immediate. It's in the immediate right now. Yeah. But that to me is some of the difference that when someone is standing there in the middle of a playa reading a book and an art car comes barreling towards them at 90 miles an hour, I think that they're going to be more likely to notice it out of their peripheral vision, whereas if they are on their phone, instead of being present to this thing barreling down on them at 90 miles an hour, they're going to think, oh, the most important thing is that I get a great Instagram shot of this awesome art car. Mm. You know, And they turn around and they take a picture instead. So they've reacted not to what's going on in the present moment, not to what's immediately in front of them. They have reacted instead to their whole mental narrative about why Instagram matters at that moment. And because Burning Man is not a perfect environment by any stretch of the imagination, I mean, the whole problem would be solved if the art car would simply run them over at 100 miles an hour, and then we just wouldn't have the issue anymore. Instead, the art car driver, who probably is being immediate and present, swerves to avoid them. What about, let's, let's explore this further. What about a phone on airplane mode uh, and someone, you know, decides to read an ebook. Is that kind of the same experience? I'm simply looking to explore this phenomena that I think you're getting at, which seems to be around, you know, when you're when you're in a book, it's certainly immersive, but it's immersive in a different way because the words that you're reading, I'm just playing off of what you're saying as I'm also interpreting this kind of in the now. Um, the words that you're reading is building a world in your in your mind, in a sense, uh, as you as you read the story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, but perhaps similarly on the phone, if you were just reading maybe an article, that would also be building a world in your head. But it but it seems like the phone, because it has, uh, as you mentioned, this kind of interactivity to it, it it pulls the interactivity away from the quote unquote real world and into this kind of digital world, which maybe that's where the tension is. Just exploring. Yeah, I don't know that it's that it's digital per se, but I do. I, I mean, your question. I'm like, God damn it! You, you were a 
philosophy major. <laughs> um, <laughs> because that was a, that's an excellent question. I'm trying to imagine somebody reading something on their phone versus reading a book. And I think if they genuinely were just purely using their phone as an ebook reader, I would feel them as being more present. And I don't know if I would need to know that. I mean, I, mean, I, I actually think that it has less to do it has less to do with me knowing they're on a phone and more to do with it actually changes the way they behave in that moment and in that space. I think if they were reading a book on their phone and they genuinely weren't thinking about checking their email and they weren't like fiddling around with the phone to figure out, you know, how they could adjust the font size or whatever, so that that their engagement was with the surroundings, with the phone just being one of the things giving them information, mm-hmm. I think I would feel that uh, I, I, if they did that, I think I, it would feel like a book to me. But I don't know that people really use their phones that way. Instead, when you're with your phone, there is this overlay of how do I get my phone to do X? Mm-hmm. Like a constant engagement, even something as small as, oh, I want to turn the brightness down. Oh, am I swiping up from the right place to get the control panel to show up so that I can see the brightness control? Even that is a lot more taking you out of the present than if you were reading... Uh, say an ebook that had a direct brightness knob on it, and you just turned the knob. I actually think reading an e reading an ebook on an e reader that had a knob to control brightness would would result in a different level of immediacy and a different level of engagement than reading it on the exact same app. I mean, I'm thinking like a Kindle or a Kobo, mm-hmm. um, but I but I I find someone reading a book on a Kobo, which is what I have at home to be still very different from, or sorry, to be very similar to them reading a physical book and to be very different from them reading it on their phone, on the Kobo app on their phone, where there's still the possibility of manipulation or let me switch away from this for a second to check my email or, oh, there's this idea that I had, I want to record it in my memo pad. It's more like doing the non-phone thing forces you to monotask. And Mm. monotasking is actually good. Mm. Monotasking makes you present and keeps you there and says, hey, dude, like we're doing this thing. We're reading a book right now. So just hang out and read a book. And I think that even if you just know that with the touch of a button, you could be doing something else without doing anything other than touching a button, I think even that much knowledge is enough for your brain to stop being fully present, as if any of us are really very good at being present anyway. Right. Well, it's very interesting because it seems like what you're kind of hitting at, um, as I reflect on it in the now, is almost this kind of quality of experience or the qualitative aspect of it, right? Because there's certainly a superficial similarity between reading text on a screen versus reading text on paper versus reading text on uh, electronic ink, um, which is still a screen but supposed to be like paper. Um, And kind of as you go between those, yes, superficially it's it's reading text, but it seems like you're talking about, uh, it's interesting because you're kind of looking at it as an observer and saying, you know, wow, I think I'd be able to tell qualitatively that someone is using their phone to read text versus to go on Instagram because of how they're engaging with their surrounding, perhaps these subtle cues around uh, how present they are with the environment that they're in as opposed to the environment created uh, on on their phone uh, necessarily. Um, sure, sure. Let me give you a concrete example from almost everyone's daily life. You're in a conversation with people, and someone says, "Oh my gosh, it was so amazing! I visited the tallest building in the world, which was the Macy's department store in downtown Chicago." Mm-hmm. And someone says, "That's not the tallest building in the world." And then someone else says, "You know, wait, wait a second, I'll Google it." Right. And 
because and, and the only reason that conversation happens is because you can Google it. And so what happens now is they Google it. There's a this is like suddenly you're now in fact checking checking mode instead of in interacting with each other mode. And now it's we're all gone our phones. Now we're all to Google. And am I Googling the right search term? Am I going to the right web page in the search results? And it's it's a completely different thing than if you don't have phones and someone says, Oh, I was just at the Macy's building, which is the tallest building in the world, and someone goes, No, it isn't, dork. You know, and the first person says, "Oh well, you know, I guess we'll check when we get home." And then the conversation moves on to something that continues to engage each other. Mm. And that, I think, is an example of—I'll call it the—it's the very power of our phones that is also the downfall because that much power makes them makes them almost as seductive, if not more seductive, a participant in what's going on than the people around us or the environment around us. Yeah, and I think that gets to another point uh, that was resonating as you were speaking and reminded me of um, one of the blog posts that I read. And again, we'll share all the blog links in the description uh, so people can read along. But it was basically talking about the idea of connectivity, right? So the idea that the phone or with internet access, you can get connected to something else, some other experience in your immediate now, but it takes you out of where you are. And another quick anecdote kind of related to your story is, I have a friend in Toronto um, who lives uh, basically kind of in like a, I don't know the right term for it, like a group home. You know, it's like four or five friends slash strangers that are all renting like a big house together. Um, and they have communal dinners once a week. But he told me that one of the rules they have is that there can't be more than, I think I'm making this up now, but it's something to the extent of if there's five people at dinner, no more than two people can be on the phone at the same time. Because they recognize, you know, some of them are parents, maybe they have to check with the teacher or, you know, their uh, friends that's having a play date or whatever. Um, but they notice that when like a certain threshold is reached of too many people on their phones, then everyone's on their phones. And all of a sudden, the interactivity that was happening over dinner goes away. Right, so they they created this rule to help hedge against that, or um, to defend against that, I suppose, of not allowing the phones, which have instant connectivity, to any number of other experiences and stimuli that someone could be exposed to at someone's fingertips, not let that take people away from that present immediate experience that they were having, while also again giving people uh, you know, the space if they need to. But it's kind of like, oh, two people are on their phones. I need to get in touch with my babysitter. I'll wait for one of them to finish before I get in touch because I don't want to tip us over the threshold where now everyone's on their phones and disconnected from this experience in favor of connecting with what's on their phones. And I think that gets to uh, this, this uh, blog article on, on journal.burningman.org that was kind of talking about this uh, idea of connectivity, right? And I think... In some senses, you know, uh, to your point, um, the phone being ever powerful to connect us to any number of other experiences, we're always swiping left or swiping right on the experience that we want, right? For sort of this kind of instant gratification, which another one of these blog posts talked about. And in some sense, when you go to Burning Man or Black Rock City, you are able to have any number of experiences. And it is your choice to uh, go to a seminar, realize you don't like it, and then get up and go somewhere else or uh, experience a piece of art and stay there all day or experience a piece of art just to 
experience in a split second and then go to the next one to just try and you know say that you've gone to all the art that's out there which i think is impossible but maybe someone's tried to do it i can't at the size of the event at this point i can't really that's a that's a performance art piece in and of itself someone tries to go and see every single piece of art at burning man and they just walk around in a bubble full of water to make sure that they're hydrated um but I think that get kind of is is getting around this idea of immediacy, and I'm just going back to the words and the in the principle. Um, you know, we we seek to overcome barriers that stand between us and a recognition of our inner selves, the reality of those around us, participation in society, and contact with the natural world exceeding human powers. No I idea. Jump on that. Yeah. that first part yeah. about getting in touch with ourselves. That's one of the things that phones do extraordinarily well. Is they take us away from ourselves. Mm-hmm. They give us an external thing to put our brain on to avoid having to deal with anything having to do with us. We don't have to think uncomfortable thoughts. We don't have to put our. In fact, if an uncomfortable thought comes in over the internet, we can just yell right back at them, or we can block them. Yep. <laughs> but basically, we can, we can. We don't actually have to stop and be present with ourselves and our own experience. Um, there was a day that I was on the playa, and th- this was the first time I heard about immediacy. Because people kept saying to me, they said, well, the burn that you're going to have is the burn that you have. And I'm like, what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. So it was Thursday, and I really wanted to go out and look at art. I had, I had done early arrival. I had been there an entire week and hadn't yet made it onto the playa, which is kind of hilarious since I camp only 100 feet away from the playa. Interesting, okay. So, yeah, I, but there, there was too much to do. I didn't have a chance to go out to the playa, mm-hmm, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. So I said, Thursday is going to be my art day. And I rode out. I got up really early, and I rode out to the trash fence as far as it was possible to get away from the city to, to see what was out there. And um, a dust storm came up, and a very bad one, like one where it was a whiteout condition. I couldn't see more than – I couldn't – I literally couldn't see like more than five feet. Mm-hmm. So because I had my dust mask and I had my water bottle and I had my uh, – uh, my dust mask, my water bottle, and my goggles, I was fine. But I said, you know, I'm just going to wait this out, thinking it would last 15 minutes. It ended up lasting about six and a half hours. Um, although, boy, did I have a lot of, do I have a lot of fun stories to tell about what happened out <laughs> of the traffic? I think I've heard <laughs> a couple, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have. Um, we, we shall remain mysterious. Good. Excuse me for purposes of this podcast. But um, but the thing that was so interesting is, is it occurred to me about 15 minutes in, like, wow, this is really screwing up my day. My day was supposed to be all about seeing beautiful art. Mm-hmm. And instead, here I am caught in this whiteout. And in that moment, I kind of got it. And it's like, this is my burn. My burn is not art. Today, my burn is a whiteout. And so it's up to me to decide, am I going to spend my day in my head fantasizing about all of the art that I could have had, or am I going to go, you know what, this is where I am, this is what's going on, this is, I'm, I'm here in a whiteout, I'm going to make the best of it. And I made the conscious decision in that moment. I said, well, you know what, I guess my burn today is, I was in this giant bouncy house, one of the inflatable bouncy houses, like kids, you have a kids' parties, mm-hmm. which someone, of course, had put one of these up at the very farthest point <laughs> on the playa that it was possible to go to. Perfect. And I said, Make them work for I'm, it. Right. I like. I'm in a bouncy house at the end of the world. Uh, I may as well just hang out, and then I will have had the experience of being in a bouncy house during a whiteout, and that's what I did. And as you know, I, I have it. And what's actually like a fabulous 15 or 20 minute story about everything that happened. But I don't think that 
I, I think even if nothing had happened and I'd just been sitting there in this incredible whiteout, my choice to simply be present and go, this is what Burning Man is giving me right now, and I am going to just choose to be present with it. And if I want to, I can walk back to the city, but I can also just choose to be here and experience a day of what it's like to be sitting in a bouncy house during a whiteout level uh, dust storm. Damn, Steve. I did. Damn, that is, I think that is so profound, that experience that you had. And I think you are absolutely right uh, for our particular interpretation of this principle that that is, that is what it's all about. That in that moment, in that immediate moment, uh, I even love the language you used around, I could, have li- I could have continued living in the fantasy of what my day was supposed to be and all the art I was supposed to have seen. Uh, but instead, I made the conscious choice to say, this is what my experience is, and to travel down that different path that was presented. And I think you nailed it on the head, and that's making me think of um, one of my days uh, at Burning Man last year, and I was supposed to go out with a couple friends. We had plans, and uh, one of my friends' bikes broke down. Um, his playa name, by the way, is I'm Here, like I am here. So he's an amazing individual. But his bike broke down, and we were supposed to have this great evening out together, and we ended up uh, trying to find a nearby camp that had bike supplies because that was their gift. And so we you know, basically took like an hour or two to fix his bike because of all the dust that was in his gears. And we had to like swap pieces out that we didn't even know how to you know, find. And people came at the right time to help us. Um, and eventually, you know, wh- one or two hours later, we made it out there, but it kind of changed the course of our evening. But similar to you, he had an amazing uh, experience that he wouldn't have had had the timing been slightly different. <clears throat> and that reminds me of... Um, uh, I, I don't know the source of this story, and it's probably told in, in different ways. And uh, but the idea is, you know, good luck, bad luck, who knows, right? And this the story very quickly is basically, um, uh, you know, there's a farmer, and uh, and he has a, a, a child, a son, and um, a horse randomly shows up on their farm, and the neighbor comes by and says, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing! You got a you got a horse that basically you you now own. It's on your land." And the farmer says, "Good luck, bad luck, you know, who knows." And the neighbor kind of goes and shakes their head and is like, oh, that's kind of weird. Okay. Um, and then the son uh, tries to ride the horse, falls off, break the, breaks their leg. Uh, and the neighbor comes by and says, oh my gosh, uh, you got this horse, but your son broke his leg. Uh, that's terrible. And the farmer says, you know, oh, good luck, bad luck, who knows. Uh, and then uh, later, um, there's a, a, a war that, you know, wherever this farmer belongs to is participating in. Um, and the, the government or the authorities come by to kind of, you know, conscript young males to join the fight. And uh, they see that this son has a broken leg. And so they pass on, you know, getting him into the war. Um, And so ultimately, this idea of good luck, bad luck, who knows, is like, no matter what situation you're in, in that immediate moment, there's no way to tell whether that's ultimately to your benefit or ultimately to your detriment. It's just another path that in that conscious, immediate moment, you have the option of uh, choosing to step in or choosing to step in another one. And I just think the way you said that was was really brilliant. It made me think of those other stories. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting because as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, boy, that's very is you know, it's a very Zen thing, right? Here I am. I'm present in the moment. I'm doing the thing that's right in front of me, even if it's not what I thought I would be doing, and I'm engaging with it as it is in the moment. <clears throat> and it occurs to me, I've recently decided that I'm going through a career change. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, boy, it would be nice to be able to be present with my career change the way mm. that I was present with the dust storm in the bouncy house. Mm. 
because it's yeah. not necessarily easy to do. Frankly. It's not. Yeah. And, and I think to your point about it, um, almost being a, a, I'm not a Zen scholar of any means, but as I've gotten it more into meditation and the idea of the practice, right? It's all about the return to the breath. And in any moment, as difficult as it is, the practice can bring you back to that immediate moment um, of, of just experiencing what's before you and, and making the choices that you have to make in the now. Um, with that, I would like to, uh, before we run out of too much time and to leave some time for discussion, I would like to uh, do this experiment with you, Steve, if you're, if you're consenting to my uh, experimentation on our, on our usual podcast. All right, I'm consenting. Cool. So in the spirit of immediacy, uh, and, and also for our listeners, um, if you've never been to Burning Man, this, I was inspired partly by kind of the experiences you might have at Burning Man. So Steve, you've arrived at uh, my camp on our podcast and uh, here's the activity that I have for you. You can pick two of the three following stories, okay? Uh, one is the poem. Two is the recording. And three is the end. And you can only pick two of the three. Or one, if you'd like. Okay. The poem, the recording, and the end. Yes, and those are in no particular order. So even though the end came last, even though the end did come last, that's true. Well, I, so I've got to pick the end first because okay. then I'm going to pick the recording, which will occur after the end. Perfect. All right. So we're going to start with the end. Uh, then we'll go to the recording. And uh, unfortunately for everyone, including you and our listeners, the poem will be a mystery. Oh, Lost no. to time. So we'll start with the end. So um, we're actually going to try something new here. This is what I was testing before we started our recording. So uh, let me just get this set up. Um, I will add some disclaimers that uh, what I'm going to play is a clip from the Marvel movie Doctor Strange. So if you haven't seen it, there are spoilers uh, coming up. Apologies to you, Steve, or thank you for consenting ahead of time uh, to, to hear the story if you haven't seen it. Um, you can plug your ears now if you want. Okay. Uh, so, so we're going to be playing a clip, uh, a fair use clip um, for educational purposes from the movie Doctor Strange. Uh, and this is uh, part of the story for this activity called The End. So this should come through. Let me know if it doesn't. Now you don't have time. Time is relative. Your body hasn't even hit the floor yet. I've spent so many years peering through time, looking at this exact moment, but I can't see past it. I've prevented countless terrible futures, and after each one there's always another, and they all lead here, but never further. You think this is where you die? You wonder what I see in your future? Yes. I never saw your future, only its possibilities. You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you craved success, but because of your fear of failure. That's what made me a great doctor. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? 
is not about you. When you first came to me, you asked me how I was able to heal Jonathan Pangborn. I didn't. He channels dimensional energy directly into his own body. He uses magic to walk. Constantly. He had a choice. To return to his own life, or to serve something greater than himself. So I could have my hands back again. My old life. You could. And the world would be all the lesser for it. I've hated drawing power from the dark dimension. But as you well know, sometimes one must break the rules in order to serve the greater good. Mordo won't see it that way. Mordo's soul is rigid and unmovable, forged by the fires of his youth. He needs your flexibility, just as you need his strength. Only together do you stand a chance of stopping Dormammu. I'm not ready. No one ever is. We don't get to choose our time. Death is what gives life meaning. To know your days are numbered. Your time is short. You'd think after all this time I'd be ready. But look at me. Stretching one moment out into a thousand. Just so that I can watch the snow. All right. So, Stever, that was the first of the two experiences. And my question to you is, why the hell did I pick that clip for our immediacy talk? What are your thoughts? Wow. <clears throat> I'm on the spot here. Yes. Um, well, you know, it, 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 and I'm just going to go with the content of the dialogue, not yeah. the fact that it's a fiction movie. Um, there's a discussion there and a tension there between the idea of playing it safe, which is essentially being controlled by fear. And keep in mind the thing about fear, whether it's a fear of making a mistake, whether it's a fear of appearing weak, whether it's a fear of, of danger, fear is almost always imaginary. Fear is almost always something that's in your brain. And, uh, and that has prevented... Doctor Strange, or I don't know, I guess Stephen Strange, from doing whatever the great things are that the Master has seen. But there was also the piece in there about the Master uh, uh, spending a lot of her time looking at, not, not being present, not being immediate, but looking at this moment. And now she's at this moment, mm. uh, discovering that, that she wishes to preserve it, or at least to see another sunrise, or whatever it was that she said. Yeah. Um, but also that she can't see past it. So both of them are at this moment, uh, really, of immediacy. Yep. They are both at this point where she she's used to knowing the future. She doesn't know the future. So now she has to confront and be present with what's going on. And she's doing that, and she's doing that by being focused on the future, saying she wants to see another or be, being focused on on a positive thing, on a thing that she wants, maybe that she wants to bring into being or that she wants to experience, which is the next sunrise. Um, whereas he, I think the implication of her analysis is uh, that he is similarly stalled where he is right now, but he's being stalled more by a fear of making mistakes, which is keeping him from 
really doing what he he may. And so it seems like, in some sense, both being in a position where they don't know what's going to happen next, where there is an open slate of possibilities, they are in some sense taking opposite orientations. She is she is um, is, is looking for how she wants to create something or, or, or wants to experience something like, a, like a positive thing to, to experience where, a, and, and a thing that consists of her being there and experiencing the next thing. Mm. Whereas his reaction to the same situation is to be one of thinking about how is he going to be judged? Is he going to look okay? I'm assuming that's why he's afraid of making a mistake. You know, essentially, is he going to be good enough? Which is a very different way of approaching what's in front of you you know it's it's more he's worrying about the implications where she is simply desiring experience so that's my two cents pop psychology <laughs> try to make it all work what did perfect how about you yeah no i uh well one and and part of the reason why i'm doing this kind of experiment with with you and for the podcast today is um at the meta level talking about immediacy we did not plan for this conversation and this analysis right like i didn't tell you i was going to play this clip or what the options were um, and a lot of the blog posts I read about immediacy talk about how it's a form of magic. And yes, Dr. Strange is about magic, but beyond that superficial reading, um, I think there's a magic to our improvised conversations that we have on this podcast. And the fact that, you know, uh, you could have picked a card, any card, you picked this one. That's what we started with. And that's what created uh, this current experience with your current uh, interpretation of that experience. And I think this gets to, um, from a meta level, what immediacy is about. So that's kind of why I chose it as an option. Um, and then for me, yeah, I think this this was a beautiful, beautiful scene to me. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, the way, you know, this is basically a death scene, a dying scene uh, where the teacher kind of passes away and the, the student then kind of, you know, uh, perhaps fills that role um, in a sense. Um, but yeah, that, that last line just really hit me where she says, um, you know, yeah, I, I've been able to see through the future, but I never am able to see past this point. I'm never able to see past this point. So here's this person with immense power, uh, right in this, in this fictional universe, but we were made to believe in this fiction that, that it is true that she has all this power. And yet there is a point in time that she cannot see past. And that is like all of us. And in that moment, she says, look at me, I'm trying to stretch this moment out into a thousand moments just so I can see the snow. Because the scene is taking place in New York uh, and there's kind of a, a storm outside. Um, and basically they're having this conversation in this you know, kind of spirit astral plane world. Um, and time is kind of slowing down. But here's this person with all this power and they can't see past what's next. And they're trying to stretch that moment out, that very end moment into a, a thousand other moments just so they can see the snow, right? And whether it's snow or sunrise or whatever, I, I think it's a very poignant story about how none of us can see what's next. We might have an approximation of what's next. We might trust based on our past what's next, but the past is never a 100% indicator of the future and what's to come. And yet, even at, oh, in fact, I, I'd even go a step further and say that a lot of times we're actually wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, and what's interesting is how few, how few of us, uh, myself included, um, take the time to recognize that. Yes, that that yeah. Sorry, and and sorry. no, well, and 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 to that point, 
in her last moment, she is trying to seek the immediacy of that moment, which is, I just want to see the snow. I just want to take the time to see this very simple phenomena that's always there that probably a million other people just disregard, but I want to take the time to see and appreciate it. And I think that gets back to this aspect of Zen or this aspect of mindfulness or presence or you know what we're calling immediacy, where in any given moment, your conscious experience can be made immediate and made present to what is happening in front of you and around you. And that is a choice that we can make to tune into that and to see that. Um, and, you know, and I even give it really go powerful. one step further to tie this yes, directly go to Go deeper, Steve. I love it. Well, I don't know if this is deeper. Maybe it's sideways. Further, further. Okay. One of the things about, about Burning Man is there is so, if what you need is a high level of stimulation in order to be present, you've got that there. Mm-hmm. I, as you said, if you decided you wanted to see all the art, you couldn't do it. There's too much to see during the course of the event. I, I mean, there's there's too much to see d- given the amount of the limited amount of time you have at the event. You just couldn't see all the art, mm-hmm. even if you wanted to. So, so the so if you choose to be present, but you need a high level of stimulation you've still got it because you can be present and you can go out and enjoy solitude on the playa. You can be present and go bounce in a bouncy house. You can do a, go to a dance party. You can go to do silks on the, you know, do learn how to do silk acrobatics. You can go sit in the exact center of a mirrored cube, which <laughs> mine was too long, but I really wanted to do that. Uh-huh. I've always wondered what a mirror cube looked like from the inside, you know, et cetera. So there's so much to do and, so much of it is like nothing else that you're encountering in your life or that you're likely to encounter in your life. Mm-hmm. So if your excuse for not being immediate is, well, I just, you know, I need something interesting to happen. Well, you have no excuse at Burning Man. There's there's more interesting stuff happening there than there is probably on your phone, is my guess. Yeah. Um, well, and I think um, uh, not only that, but you know, in, in terms of talking about how to take the principles, you know, off playa and in our everyday, I 100% agree with you that there's myriad amounts of interesting things happening at Burning Man. But for me, I'm also partial to reinforcing this idea that, you know, the next time any of us walk down the street, there are also myriad numbers of interesting things happening if we just take the the time and the conscious choice to be present and immediate with, with our surroundings and with like for, for me, I just, from a personal example, I'm living in San Diego now. Um, I live in a, in a neighborhood, um, that has a lot of succulents, uh, around and I'm, f- I've become increasingly fascinated with just how beautiful these, uh, succulents are. And it's just completely changed. Uh, you know, when I walk my dog, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm walking my dog. It feels like a chore on some levels, but I know I'm always going to see something, uh, interesting and compelling that, you know, I've, I've never seen before from, from that perspective. So, or what that's worth. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the first question we ask when we see something new and compelling is, can I eat it? Can I, can I eat it? (laughs) Will it kill me? Is this for survival? (laughs) I want to take pictures. Um, okay, great. Well, let's, let's jump to the second one of the activity. Uh, and then I know we're, we're getting close to a a time that we like to break. So we'll do the second. Wow. Yeah. Um, time has flown today. So, so, uh, this one, so it's very interesting how you chose the order of these. So this one was called the recording. Um, and basically what I'm going to do is kind of a, 
meta dialogue about what's happening right now. And we'll, we'll see where this goes and we can discuss it after. Again, very experimental. So here it goes, the recording. So as I'm talking, an idea was in my head. And in my head, it was uh, neurochemical reactions that were formed in neuron connections. And it moves my mouth in a certain way, such that the air molecules move in a certain vibration, such that when they hit the mechanical devices of my microphone, that vibration is captured by a change in voltage and a change in electrons, which travel down the wire from my microphone right now into the port in my laptop and get converted into different electrons on a hard drive, which then get passed through electromechanical, electromagnet rather, energy uh, over to my Wi-Fi router and onto a different copper wire, which sends that vibration of electrons into a server somewhere, which then somehow gets to its destination over to where you are, Stever. And the electrons then go across your router and onto your computer or laptop. And then that gets passed down the wire, which is going into your headphones. And that electron pattern then vibrates the mechanical uh, portion of your headphones such that the air molecules vibrate in a similar way to the words I'm making right now. And they hit your eardrum, and that gets converted back into electrochemical energy, which then hits your brain, and which then you interpret as language or words and make sense of this idea that started in my head and is now copied into your head. But furthermore, that idea that's now copied into your head and that was stored as electrons as a vibration are now stored in a particular pattern of electrons on both of our laptops. And in a moment, we'll upload this particular arrangement of electrons on our laptops into a particular arrangement of electrons on a server somewhere in a warehouse somewhere that has other electrons being formed from maybe hydroelectric power, uh, moving the electrons in a particular way. And whoever's listening to this right now, what you've done is you've taken that copy of those electrons and you've stored them on your device, or perhaps you're streaming them on your device. And they're doing the same thing they did for Stever, which is forming that same pattern through mechanical energy of your headphones or the speakers in your car or at home. And wherever you are, whether that's public transit or a uh, seat at home or in your car um, or at the beach listening on a perhaps Bluetooth speaker, wherever you are, what you're listening to is the past. This is not live. This is just a particular arrangement of electrons. And so we're not here with you right now. This is just the past. This is just the recording. And what you Although are- Although bizarrely, yes. I am here with you right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. Well, <laughs> have them, have so them noodle they, on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the people listening are not here right now, but we're here right now. We're, I'm here right In fact- I'm assuming you're on the other end. You just you just pointed out the whole thing is just electrons. So I could be talking to some horrible Google DeepMind AI experiment that's pretending to be you, but I'm pretty sure we're both here right that's now. Only, that's only five years away. So I'm, the, I'm the beta for that, but you're right. Um, but for those, for those who are listening right now, to Stever's point, Stever and I are here right now, but we're not with you. And wherever you are listening to this, you are in an environment that you are present in, and you have chosen to listen to this content, which is just a replication of the past. And so we have just simply entered your immediate experience. We are the past entering your present, and you can choose to tune into what we're saying or tune out of what we're saying, and you can choose to see your surroundings from perhaps a different perspective than you've usually seen them if you're in your car, in your house, or in a cafe somewhere. Um, and so that that is my experimental uh, performance piece called The Recording. And so, uh, yes, Stever. 
would love your would love your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're driving me straight to solipsism here, okay, good. <laughs> which is, which is, I make sense of the world based upon my current thinking and interpretation of it, and you, at least for me, you just pointed out that wow, what I'm processing is a conversation with Evan about being present. In fact, we are anything but present. And the amount of mechanism between you and me, if we were face-to-face in the same place, at the very least, the only thing that would be mediating between the two of us would be airwaves, mm-hmm. air compressions, and the mechanics of our eardrums, and our brains, obviously. But in fact, there is so much between us right now. You hand-waved a bunch of it. You said somehow the bits get from here, from here to there. But uh, sadly, I have a background in computer science. So... <laughs> When you said that, I was sitting here thinking about encoding formats. I was thinking about analog to digital converters. I was thinking about compression. I was thinking about packet switching networks and how packets get reassembled in the right order. And it makes me realize on one level, on a kind of a big chunk level, I am here present with you Mm -hmm. and other people will be hearing this once we're no longer present. But then on another level, I'm not present with you at all. What I'm actually present with is a very messy desk and <laughs> a piece of paper with a pen that I was jotting notes on. My desk is messy and, too. You know, a browser screen that has the controls for this recording session. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know what this means about Burning Man. Except <laughs> people listening are going, people are going to listen to this episode and go. All I've heard about Burning Man is that people do drugs there, and this is becoming really clear that it's true. <laughs> Drugs could be another way of of seeing a a different form of immediacy, perhaps. Uh. (laughs) Yes. Well, actually, that's a whole other discussion, which I'm afraid we don't have time for. But in fact, um, fact it may be. Uh, I personally am not a drug user at this stage of my life. I was in college. I did a lot of interesting drugs. And so my experience of Burning Man, by the way, is, is totally a sober experience. I don't drink there, nor do I do drugs there. So... Everything anyone has heard from me up until this episode, and including this episode, is all, this has been my completely conscious, normal, waking reality report, not my, dude, I don't know what was in those tablets, but you won't believe how amazing last night was. No. <laughs> the amazing last nights were for me being, being present and being immediate in an unaltered state. Awesome. And as all uh, immediate things uh, enter our immediate awareness, they must also immediately vanish, and so... I think with that, uh, yeah, the, the topic and principle of immediacy uh, has been an interesting one. Thanks, Stever, for, for bearing with my little experiment today and to our listeners for, for bearing with that as well. But for me, I, I think it was a chance to explore immediacy by practicing immediacy and you know, not knowing necessarily what's going to come next. And as you only chose two of the three activities, you know, there's one that was lost to the sands of time and, and for this particular recording because of... Uh, the choices that we have in any immediate moment. So, Yes, and that's actually really, really important, is that part of immediacy is that when you're immediate and you're present and you're here and you're now, you're not other places. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to waste the here and now with the fear of missing out that you aren't someplace else, that's a really dumb choice. And it's one that I make all the time. However, it's one worth training yourself not to make, and Burning Man's a great place not to make it. Yes, All right. Thank you for joining us, Evan. 
Yeah. And thanks, uh, Steve. Or actually, thank you for joining us, everyone else. <laughs> and thank you, Evan. <laughs> and the digital recording um, voice of Evan that was entering your ear. And thanks, thanks, voice of Steve, who was entering my ear for this particular uh, experience. My pleasure. And thank you, all of those ears who's, who's in, into which our voices are entering, or at least a time delayed version of our voices. <laughs> and we hope to see you again in a future episode. All right. Take care, everyone. <laughs> take care. Bye.